listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back with you, uh, even if it's virtual. I felt, I felt like the uh, service last week was wonderful. Um, I watched it back and I saw all the comments, uh, people talking to one another. And so I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for the way in which you've kind of leaned into the community, even though we can't be with one another. I really, really appreciate it. And I also want to say this. These are uncharted wa- waters. Like, none of us have lived uh, in the world that had this level of a pandemic that was threatening us. And I just want to say to you, whatever emotions that you may be feeling, that those are okay. That fear is a natural response to danger. And so if you feel afraid, um, that's all right. And other, other things, like if you might experience some fatigue that kind of comes along with trauma. So kind of give yourself a break. Uh, give your family members a break, your friends, your coworkers, right? Because we're all in this together. And I want to say this too. One of the things that I've really enjoyed, actually, in this last uh, few weeks, is some really funny memes that I've seen kind of in my social media feeds. And while we don't want to make light of a serious situation, humor is actually a very good coping mechanism. And so if we tell a joke, uh, don't be too judgmental on one another. Again, kind of giving everyone some latitude in the midst of all these things. So as we continue our service today, our gospel passage comes from the Gospel of John again. This time we are in chapter 11, and it's the story of the raising of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus' death, of course, is a very serious issue. Very serious, of course, for his, his family. And, uh, but there are some funny things in this story that I just wanted to, to point out to you uh, as we read along. I'm in John chapter 11, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was, one, was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's bizarre. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and you're going to go there again? That doesn't make sense. Jesus had been to Jerusalem and things had blown up. And so he had been avoiding Jerusalem ever since then. In the Gospel of John, the first time we see Jesus in Jerusalem is in uh, chapter 2. And that's when he's kind of cleansing the temple, as we call it. 
And he's avoided Jerusalem ever since. And the Jewish leadership apparently had also tried to stone him. And so the disciples are like, that's, that's not the best idea. Like, we shouldn't be going back to Jerusalem. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not on them. Like, that's not the most direct answer, right, I've ever heard. Like, Jesus, we've heard this guy was sick. We didn't go to see if we could help. We stayed here. Now you're saying, let's go down there. We're telling you that's not the best idea because the Jews were just trying to stone you. And then you say something about we should walk when it's daylight and not in the dark. So let's read on. After saying this, Jesus told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. And this is the funniest part, I think. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Like, if he's just asleep and he's not sick unto death, then we should avoid going back to Jerusalem. Like, you're saying he's asleep and you're going there to wake him up? If he's just asleep, you know, let the guy nap. He'll probably be better when he wakes up anyway. And then verse, verse 13 says this, Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was, refer he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas pipes up. Thomas says this, Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. What a, what a powerful kind of testimony of, of camaraderie, of, of friendship. Like, like it's, this can't possibly be a good decision for Jesus and his disciples to go back into the area of Jerusalem. They've warned Jesus, right? But Jesus is like, I'm going to go. And Thomas looks around at the rest of them and says, well, if he's going, then we should all go too. Because even if he's going to his death, and if we go with him, it means ours, we should nevertheless stay with him. I mean, it didn't quite work out that way when Jesus actually went to his death. And of course, we know that uh, Thomas says other things, kind of doubting whether or not uh, when people say, we've seen the Lord kind of after uh, the crucifixion, after the resurrection, Thomas Hatton. He's like, I don't know about that. But before we judge Thomas kind of too harshly, I think we need to hear this level of commitment that he has. Let us go also that we might die with him. The story continues in verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb already for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to uh, meet him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. What a, what a powerful testimony uh, of Martha's faith. 
So she goes out to meet Jesus. She doesn't wait for Jesus to get there. She goes out, she hears that he's coming, and she goes out to greet him. And she's like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha replies, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. That confession that Jesus is the Messiah is one of the most important parts of these gospel stories. Like when the gospels open up, we're introduced to Jesus and we learn things about him. But in all of the gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, someone confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Now in Matthew, Mark and Luke, it's on the lips of Peter. Peter's the one who speaks up and says that Jesus is the Messiah. But in John, it's Martha. Martha makes that confession. Now, the story goes on. Mary eventually comes out. Mary also greets Jesus. And Mary echoes the exact same words of Martha. Like she also says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, you know, Jesus kind of weeps. And we know, we know that part of the story. But then he calls Lazarus out. And when he says, remove the stone, Martha's like, whoa, 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 wait. I mean, he, he's been in there a long time. I mean, he's going to stink. And Jesus is like, remove the stone. And he calls Lazarus and Lazarus comes forth. I want to I show you a picture uh, on the screen. It's a picture of a, of a little flower. I mean, some might interpret it as a weed, but it's, it's really quite beautiful. And it's, it's there in the midst of this uh, unbelievable dryness. It reminds me in some ways of, of a dandelion. Uh, we don't have dandelions around here in Florida, but where I live, dandelions were quite common and they'd kind of pop up in your yard. My grandfather in particular, I knew, was, was not very fond of them, right? He was always out there digging up the dandelions. It's a weed, he said. But to me, it always looked like a flower. It was a natural flower. You didn't have to plant it. It was just there. And of course, uh, at a certain point, as they grow, they go from that little yellow flower to the little uh, stem with the, with the little white things on it, and you can blow it, and they kind of float away. That was always a lot of fun. But, but as you see this image, I want you to, to, to think of this, that out of the driest spots, out of the darkest spots, the light can shine and life can come. Like this, this story in the, in the gospel is the story of the, of the raising from the dead of Lazarus. And I think it does obviously um, kind of for, foreshadow Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection for all of us foreshadows our resurrection kind of in the last day. But there are other things about this story and particularly about the other passages of Scripture that get paired with this story in the lectionary. Uh, one of them in the epistles is Romans 8. 
And in Romans 8, um, Paul's talking about the flesh and the spirit. And he, te- he tells us that, you know, we have mortal bodies, but we are people of the spirit. And he says, if the same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead also dwells in you, then that same spirit will raise our mortal bodies so that we too may live. And this passage gets paired with one of my favorite stories uh, from the Old Testament. It's Ezekiel 37. Now, Ezekiel is kind of the, the primary, if not the one and only, exilic prophet. There were prophets before him, before the exile, and there'll be prophets after him, after the exile. But Ezekiel is called to speak the word of the Lord in the darkest and in the driest uh, point in history for the Hebrews. Let's let's just recount the story just a minute. So we know that God, in the beginning of, of the Bible, right, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make your descendants into a nation. I'm going to bless that nation. And then through that nation, I'm going to bless the world. That's how our story begins. And we see that promise start to be fulfilled as the Hebrews are set free from slavery in Egypt. Being led by Moses kind of through the wilderness, we now have a people group. And they kind of go and they settle in Canaan. And even though they are kind of a loose confederation of 12 tribes, they are the people of God. They're following God. Now, that loose confederation of tribes eventually consolidates into a single nation under a single leader, and that's King Saul. King Saul, of course, is followed by King David. David expands the borders, and they they provide kind of more security for the nation. And then uh, one of his sons, Solomon, becomes the third king of Israel. And during the time of Solomon... They, they experienced the kind of luxury that uh, few um, people groups in the ancient world experienced. It was certainly the first time in their history that they had a time like this. They had time to write poetry and to, to produce wisdom literature. Like now you don't just have like a king and a prophet and a judge. You also have a sage. So they're, they're, they're writing and they're thinking and they're reflecting. And, it, and, and it's a good time. But it doesn't last long. Because when Solomon dies, the kingdom uh, divides into two. Uh, one large group in the north, as you know, and that was 10 of the 12 previous tribes. And then a smaller group just made up of two tribes in the south. Well, they would battle over, you know, who, who was the most important and, you know, who was God's people and where could you possibly worship because the temple was in Jerusalem, which was in the south. But the, the northern kingdom was the larger kingdom. And so they kind of made places of worship there. Now, as the story goes, that northern kingdom would be utterly destroyed by the Assyrians. Just laid waste. Like, we don't even know where their descendants are now. They, they just got scattered. Some of them were taken into captivity. Some of them were killed. Some of them just kind of intermarried with other Canaanites. Like, we don't, we don't know their history. They're, they're lost. And then this small little group, this little remnant, this kind of little Judah, would then also be destroyed. So if the promise starts with Abraham, 
And its fulfillment begins with the exodus. And that's kind of the birth of the nation. Then the exile, in a lot of ways, was the death of the nation. The promise has come to, to nothing. The, the nation that was to be blessed, the nation through whom the world would be blessed, has been laid waste. There's a, there's a few of them that have been taken into captivity in, into, into Babylon. But the city's destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. I mean, it is, it is a dark, dark time in Jewish history. And this is the time that Ezekiel is called to prophesy. And so Ezekiel starts to prophesy about the coming of a new temple, about a river that kind of flows. And in this passage in Ezekiel, and it's, it's a famous one, he, he's told, he has a vision of a valley that's full of dry bones. And he's asked, you know, prophet, uh, mortal, human, do you think these bones can live? And he responds, well, I, I don't know. I mean, God, you're the one that knows these things. And he's told to prophesy to the bones that they will live, that God will give them breath, that God will give them flesh, that God will make them a people again. Now, we could read that very literally as it too is a reference to kind of a bodily resurrection. But I think the most natural way to read that is that in Babylon, in the midst of the exile, when it seems like nothing has worked out the way it's supposed to, like this is not the, the life we thought we would live. Like we didn't think we would be here, me preaching to uh, iPhone, uh, you watching a screen and listening. We didn't think we would be here having to physical and social distance and self-quarantine. This, this is not the reality that we anticipated. It's not the reality they anticipated. But in the midst of that, God promises them a future. I think the Valley of Dry Bones would be understood by Ezekiel and by the people that he was prophesying to as a, <clears throat> as a promise that somehow God would resurrect Israel, that God had not forsaken his promise to Abraham and that his, his promises don't, don't end. His promises don't become null. That he would, he would take that which was dead and that which is dry and that which seems utterly lost and he would make it new and that he would bring life to it. And just like that little flower in the desert, there, there's something about life that it just wants to live. I mean, in some ways, that's what we're up against with this virus, right? This virus is the living thing, and it wants to live. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's going to find its way to try and, to try and live, and that's, that's why we have to be so diligent, because life wants to happen. And God will give us a good life, a true life a life that's full and abundant, a life of mercy and grace and forgiveness. When we pray the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, it is something that we pray, right? It's for us. It's not my Father, but our Father who is in heaven. Let your name be sanctified. 
Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as in heaven also upon the earth. Give us, us today, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into a time of testing, but deliver us from evil. That's the prayer. And that's what we've been praying for. And it's that life, that abundant life of of forgiveness, of, of bread, that we can not just hope for, but anticipate and expect. And so during this time of the virus, I mean, I want you to be diligent. I I want you to go kind of above and beyond. Do all you can. Uh, Wash your hands on a more regular basis. Pray for one another. Practice some physical distancing, uh, not necessarily social distancing, because socially we are still together. This, This isn't going to stop us. We're going to move forward. Not in our own power, not by just by our sheer will, but because we serve the God of life who can take even that which is dead and make it, make it alive again. There was the the psalm for today uh, was already read by Carol, but I want us to just revisit it uh, just real quickly. It's Psalm 130. And I, I love this psalm. I, and I really, I, I, I love the Psalms, I always have, but during this difficult time that we're experiencing, the Psalms are kind of coming to me in new and fresh ways. It's like uh, poetry, art, music, beauty, are those things that kind of give us life and let us kind of express our life. And, and I would encourage you to kind of lean into that poetic whatever that might be for you. I know there are a lot of um, professional artists who are providing uh, kind of Facebook Live times. Like I watched one last night with Angela of, of Garth Brooks and, and Trisha um, Yearwood. And it was just the two of them kind of singing and playing. Uh, the elders uh, met this week and I shared with them kind of Brad Paisley singing, uh, I Come to the Cross. These, these are... These are times where these songs, like these psalms, speak to us and give us life in ways that typically words alone can't. Like music, beauty, poetry. It's what we live for. I mean, we need those other things. We we need those things that can kind of sustain life. But it's... It's the poetic that kind of gives it a a thickness. This is what the psalmist says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. If I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his hope, in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more for those who watch for the morning. He repeats that phrase twice. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. With him is great power to redeem. Like that little flower kind of coming up in the desert. It is he who redeemed Israel from all of its iniquities. Look, there's nothing that we could do. If the, if the Lord was just sitting up there kind of measuring all of our iniquities, all of our sins, we'd all be in trouble. But the Lord invites us to the table. The Lord gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He has already done so much to redeem us, to welcome us, to forgive us, to show us his love and his mercy and his grace. And we are grateful. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.